Well, you're too kind. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be with you. And um, I, I'm thrilled. Uh, we're very grateful for this ministry and the opportunity the Lord has given us uh, to be uh, here with all of you. And uh, thank God for all he's doing. Now, you're standing, so I'm making sure I know what to do next. Do I have them seat, take a seat? Whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. You know, when you go to a different place, you got to figure out the customs of the land, right? And so I wasn't sure if you were expecting me to lead in a song, which I can assure you, you'll be glad I didn't, all right? But uh, I'm, I'm thrilled and excited to be here. It's good to see all of you, that's encouraging. I'm, I'm encouraged just to see you. And I won't have the opportunity to get to know all of you. I hope I get to meet some of you. And, uh, but I want to thank you. I want to thank you for a willingness to train and serve the Lord with your life. The greatest life you could ever live is in service to the Lord. And it's a special, special thing when God touches your life and brings you to a place like this to prepare for ministry. And you just let God write the chapters of your life and follow him. And I promise you, when it's over, you won't regret a thing. If you take the pen from him, well, then you'll have some things you'll you'll wish you could erase. But if you let him write it every day of your life and just trust him and follow him, he will lead you. And so that's my prayer for all of you. Boy, what an exciting opportunity you have next week with the Spiritual Leadership Conference. I hope you'll soak all of that in. Enjoy it. Um, what a great group of preachers you have coming. And... Uh, I know that God will use that meeting, and I've heard so many wonderful things about it. And I just got here a week too early. But I want to get out here and be a part of that. Our Christian school has been here twice for basketball tournaments, and we've enjoyed our experiences here. And it's amazing. I'm sure this expression gets used a lot. But when you're driving up to this place and for miles and miles, there's nothing but nothing. And all of a sudden, uh, like an oasis in the desert, you find this, this beautiful campus. And, and uh, one of the great joys that I had in my time here was just getting to know some of the church people and listening to them talk about their church and their pastor and uh, what a difference that God had made in their lives as a result of this church. I had a gentleman pick me up at the airport yesterday. And uh, only God knows how much that man encouraged me yesterday. But he loves his church and he loves his pastor. And he's invested his life here. And there are many more people who need a church and they need a pastor. And so God has touched many of you to go out and do that work. So learn all you can while you're here and enjoy next week. You're going to hear some great preaching. 
It's good to see some of our friends, Dan Cox and Marie. And Dan and I grew up in the same church in East Tennessee. That's the spout where the glory comes out. And um, I'm just so thankful to see what God has done in his life and given him this opportunity, uh, he and Marie and their family, to be here uh, and to teach Greek. I'm sure you guys are loving that, right? And, uh, and then to see Jamie Smithy and Erica here, uh, dear friends of ours, folks we've known for many years, and uh, it's a blessing to see them and meet a lot of new friends and, and hopefully make a lot of new friends. Well, we're looking this morning in the book of Nehemiah, so would you turn there with me? Nehemiah chapter number 2. Nehemiah chapter number 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 12. Nehemiah chapter number 2 and verse number 12. The Word of God says, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and of the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Note with me this expression that we find, if you would, in verse number 18. Nehemiah said, I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, the hand of my God was good upon me. Has the hand of your God been good upon you? Say amen. amen. Well, let's pause and thank him for it. Father, we thank you for the day that you have given to us and this opportunity that we have to be together on this day and to look into your word. And I pray that 
you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would do an unusual work in our lives, something perhaps even unexpected in a chapel service like this. And I pray, God, that by your spirit, you will enable us to receive your word. I ask, oh, Father, that you would help me. Holy Spirit, fill me, use me. Help me to communicate the truth of your word. Keep from my lips the things that do not need to be said. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after the Jews had returned to Jerusalem, where Zerubbabel had led them to rebuild the temple, this, of course, is after the captivity. Sixty years later came Ezra the scribe, and he came to bring reform and revival to God's people in Jerusalem. Twelve years after Ezra came, a man named Nehemiah came to Jerusalem and led the people to rebuild the walls of the city. Uh, that effort had commenced some 13 years earlier, but in despair it was given up on. They thought, it just can't be done. The task is too great. Well, we've all heard that before, haven't we? And I want you to see that Nehemiah, however, is not a book about a great leader, although Nehemiah was a great leader. It's not a book that simply tells us what a group of people can do when they set their mind to it. I want you to know that this book is a book about a great God and his good hand upon the life of a man and upon a people and the work that God's good hand can complete as we surrender to him. Now, I want you to note some things in this passage, and I'll ask you to write some things down. Uh, number one, I want you to see the hand of God. The hand of God, that's where it all begins. It all begins with God. Nehemiah said in verse number 18, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Nehemiah had come to Jerusalem, and everyone wondered, well, Who is this guy? He had come with a royal escort. He had come with a, a, a wagon load of timber and materials and supplies that was sent from the king's royal forest. And everybody's wondering, what in the world is going on? Who is this guy? And he doesn't say a word. And then he walks about the city and surveys the walls. And finally, he calls for a prayer meeting. And he tells them, gentlemen, I have come to do a task to rebuild the walls of the city. And I can imagine the faces of many of those people who maybe perhaps smirked or looked in unbelief and thought to themselves, this was tried earlier and we couldn't accomplish it. What, is, what does this guy think he's going to be able to do that others couldn't do before? But as Nehemiah began to communicate the story further, he told them of the hand of his God that had touched him. And that had been good upon him. I want you to see the hand of God in the life of Nehemiah. Go with me, if you would, please, to chapter 1 and verse number 1. In chapter 1 and verse number 1, 
The book of Nehemiah opens with this statement, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, I want you to look with me in the very last line of this first chapter in verse number 11. Nehemiah tells us who he was. He was the king's cupbearer. He was the king's cupbearer. That means he was in a very trusted position. Not only did he serve the king his meal, he tasted it to ensure that there was no poison that was uh, placed in the meal. But he became a very trusted advisor to the king. He was part and privy to many of the king's high-level administrative meetings. Nehemiah learned many wonderful things that helped prepare him for the job that God had for him. But I want you to see that it was God's good hand that placed Nehemiah in the palace. How did he get there? Well, we don't know. He's a Jew born in captivity. Perhaps he had never traveled to Jerusalem. But what we do know is that God put him exactly where he put him. And let me ask you a question this morning. Where has God placed you? I want you to understand, though the circumstances are different, and maybe this hasn't occurred to you yet, but no one is here by accident. You are here simply because of the sovereign hand of a good God who wants to use you and do something miraculous in your life. God's good hand placed Nehemiah in the palace. It was God's good hand that prepared Nehemiah for the task. As I said a moment ago, as a, as a friend and confidant of the king, as someone who served him and worked closely with him, Nehemiah was able to be in many of the high-level administrative meetings of the king. And unconsciously, Nehemiah was being prepared. God was working in his life training him and teaching him and giving him skills and knowledge that he would one day use to lead the people of Jerusalem to construct the walls. I want you to know that God is working to prepare your life. And this is an important stage in it. A call to preach is a call to prepare. That's what my pastor taught me. And time spent in preparation is never wasted. Don't get ahead of God. Sometimes uh, college students think, you know, if I could just get out there, if I could just get out there, look at what I could do. Listen, time spent here learning, serving, being trained, being taught the scripture, learning how to live through difficult experiences and trials are all instrumental the things that God is going to use in your life. The job that you have. Maybe you work on campus. The job that you have. I want you to know God's sovereign over that. And he's put you in this place to learn something. Maybe the job that you have off campus. By the way, if you work off campus or on, you ought to be the best employee in the place. 
Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, including your job. It speaks volumes of your character. And we know that Nehemiah is a man of high character. And so understand that God is working through the friends and the circumstances and the, the families that you're meeting in this church and, and the job and, and, and the difficulties in the classroom and the struggles and the trials and relationships. Let me just say this to you. God is using all of it to prepare you so that you can go out and serve him. It was God's good hand that prompted the king in chapter number two to consider Nehemiah's request. Nehemiah was burdened about the condition of Jerusalem and he began to weep and pray and he prayed for four months and apparently it affected his countenance and he's going about his business and uh, serving the king but he has a look of despondency and the king takes note. In verse number two of chapter two, the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. You see, that could have cost him his life, to be sad in the presence of the king. And in verse number three, he said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Now notice the king's response. For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. You see, it was God's good hand that prompted the king to take enough interest in what was going on in the life of Nehemiah to be concerned and to hear the report about the city of Jerusalem and to say to Nehemiah, you go ahead and go. That was God's good hand upon his life. It was God's good hand that provided the resources that Nehemiah needed. Look, if you would, please, in verse number five. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. I don't want any problems in travel. Stamp my passport. Verse eight, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and make me beams, uh, to make beams rather for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into it. And the king granted me, notice this, the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see, it was God's good hand that touched the heart of the king to provide what was needed for the reconstruction of the walls. Here's what the king said. Here's my Lowe's card. Would you like my Home Depot card? I don't know if you have Lowe's and Home Depot in, in this part of the country, but Take it, whatever you need, you have access to it. And let me just say this to you, what God has called you to do, he will provide for you to do. It was God's good hand that protected Nehemiah and the people from the ridicule, the schemes and the threats of those who wanted to stop the work. And it was God's good hand that performed the task and completed the walls Something that couldn't be done 13 years previously was done in 52 days. Who did it? God did it. It was God's good hand. Can I pause here and ask you to consider, has God's good hand been at work in your life? 
Are you saved this morning? Are your sins forgiven? You have a home in heaven. An inheritance not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It fadeth not away. It's incorruptible. Boy, God's been good to us, hasn't he? Has God placed a desire in your heart to serve him? Well, you would think that's pretty obvious, right? Because here you are this morning. But I want you to know it's because of God's good hand upon your life. The Bible says in Psalm 37 and verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You see, when we learn to delight in him, God's desire for our life becomes our desire. We begin to desire what God desires. And God works in our hearts to cause us to desire to serve him. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will, there's the desire, and to do of his good pleasure. This is a true saying, Paul said. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. The very fact that Nehemiah desired to go to Jerusalem to do the job was because and as a result of God's good hand upon his life. Has the Lord given you an opportunity to learn and to serve? Absolutely. Aren't you glad to be a part of West Coast Baptist College? Aren't you glad that you can learn how to serve the Lord in the local church? That you can serve in the ministries of the church, that you can serve alongside men and women who live in this community, who, who, who have poured their lives and their resources into this church. Aren't you glad you can learn from the staff and the faculty? You see, God's good hand has been upon you. He is supplying all of your need. I know that finances sometimes become challenging, but trust in the Lord. He has promised to supply our needs, and he will do so in many miraculous ways. And let me encourage you, keep a journal, keep a notebook, and record how God answers prayer and how God provides. Has God placed a burden in your heart for the lost and dying? Has he given you a vision for what can be done? then you and I can say with Nehemiah, God's hand has been good upon me. So we see, number one, the hand of God. I want you to see, secondly, the heart of a man. The heart of a man. The Bible says in verse number 12 of our text in chapter number 2, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Do you know why we're here this morning? We're here because God has put something in our hearts. The men and women who labor on this staff and, and who serve in this college are here because God has placed something in their hearts. And you're here because God has put a desire in your heart so that you can serve and so that you can train him. It was the hand of God who touched the heart of a man. Now, I want you to think about Nehemiah. He was a Hebrew, an Israelite, born in captivity, serving the king of Persia. He had a pretty good job. Financially, I would say he was pretty well off. He ate the best meals. He had a really nice place to live. He most likely had a membership at the country club. Career-wise, 
he was doing quite well. But yet, he had a greater desire, and that was to serve the Lord with his life. I've seen a lot of young people who are serving and preparing for ministry get pulled off course because of material things. Here's a man who had access to all of them. Yet because of his love for God, he surrendered to do the will of God. It reveals his heart. Now, there are three things that we find about his heart, and we'll note them in chapter 1. I want you to notice, first of all, his passion. His passion. Nehemiah was a passionate person. Look, if you would, in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. He said, it came to pass in the month Kislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. By the way, it was no accident they were there. And so when he saw them, the Bible says, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped. Here's a man who had passion, and we see it in his request. The fact that he bothered to stop and say, can you tell me how things are in Jerusalem? I really want to know. And so the report came. It's pretty bad. Then we see his passion in his response. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, in his response, he didn't simply shake his head and say, oh, well, I hate that. Too bad. Maybe somebody should try to go back and rebuild those walls. That's not what he did. The Bible said it affected him. It changed him. It stopped him in his tracks. He had to sit down and he began to weep. He began to cry out. He began to mourn. He decided to go on a fast and he began to pray. And for a period of months, he is praying unto the Lord. You see, we see his passion in his response. We see his passion in his prayer. Notice, if you would please, in verse 5, here's the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. He said, And I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Notice the language here. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray thee now day and night. Listen, this wasn't one of those I lay me down to sleep prayers. This wasn't one of those God bless all the missionaries in the world. This is a serious, earnest prayer. By the way, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And here's a man who is pouring out his heart to God. And in his prayer, he is seeking the glory of God. He is, he is crying out in, in, in confession over the sin of the people. He is claiming the promises of God. He is trusting God to do a work. And he concludes this prayer in verse number 11. Oh, Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. What motivated him? It was a desire to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. That is what motivated him. And any other motivation will not do, friends. It will not do. And notice what he said. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. You see, Nehemiah had the Spirit of God working in his life. He recognized the need. He knew there was a need. He wanted God to meet the need, and he was surrendering to do whatever God wanted him to do. Have you come to that point? How about you, young ladies? Have you come to that point? Have you surrendered to do whatever God wants you to do? 
to go wherever God wants you to go and to marry whoever God has for you and to trust him to do it. You can give that to him, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. When I was a student at the University of Tennessee, if you had said to me, Scott, write out every goal for your life, and it'll happen. I couldn't have written out what God has done for me. The best thing you can ever do is leave a blank sheet of paper and say, Lord, you write the story. I'm trusting you to do it. Nehemiah said, I want to go. Well, there's a problem, Lord. I'm the king's cupbearer. I can't just leave at my own free will and volition. But if you'll touch the heart of the king, I'll go. Oh, we see his heart. We see his heart in his, in his passion. We see his heart in his prayer. But then as we study the chapter, and we don't have time to look at these verses, I'm just giving them to you this morning. But we see his, his, his heart in his perseverance. His perseverance. Let me just give you a couple of these, and you can write them down. Nehemiah went to the job, and he stayed on the job until the task was done. He finished it, but he faced a lot of adverse circumstances. In verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2, he faced difficult circumstances. I mean, you couldn't even travel around the walls. How in the world are you going to build them? They had been left in a state of destruction. You couldn't even ride a horse or a mule around the city because of the destruction. It was everywhere. By the way, when you look at what's going on in our nation, we're in the same condition. The circumstances are difficult. He persevered in the face of ridicule in chapter 2 and verse number 19. There are people who are going to mock you and they're going to hate you and they're going to work against you. They're not going to be happy that you showed up at whatever town you showed up to. They're not going to be happy that you're serving in that local church. They're not going to be happy that you're teaching that Christian school classroom. They're not going to be happy that you showed up on the mission field to bring them the good news of the gospel. There are going to be people who are going to resist you. He persevered in the face of criticism, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He persevered, though there were threats, in chapter 4 and verse 8. He persevered through discouragement. He persevered through disappointment. He persevered through deception. He persevered through false accusations. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 24 and verse 10, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I want you to know there are many difficult days awaiting you. But by the grace of God and with the good hand of God, he will lead you to persevere. When Paul closed his letter to Colossae, he called the name of a young man. I imagine he was a young man. His name was Archippus. We don't really know much about him. But I can just imagine the church at Colossae had gathered and someone is reading this letter. And it's obvious they've come to the last part of the letter and uh, Archippus is there, and all of a sudden, he hears his name. <laughs> Can you imagine how uncomfortable he got? And say to Archippus, lump in the throat, I got called out. 
Don't you hate it when that happens? By the way, it could be a good thing for you. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Listen, don't quit, don't walk away, but persevere. There are going to be difficult days, but endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And God will give you the grace and strength to do it. So don't think it's strange when the fiery trials come. Know that they're coming. So what do we see in this passage? Well, we see the hand of God. And then secondly, we see the heart of a man. But then finally, we see this, the hope of a people. The hope of a people. Notice in verse 17. When Nehemiah brings this group together, he said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in. Well, they'd been living in it, hadn't they? He had just been there a few days to see it. It's amazing the things that people get used to. He said, I I want you to look around, gentlemen. I, I want you to see the distress that we're in. And I want to ask you a question. Do you see, do you see the distress that we're in? Our nation is in distress. People who are growing up without any teaching, without any training, without any knowledge of God, being taught by the system of this world that there is no God, that they are just the product of evolution, that they're here just to get whatever they want and take whatever they don't have, that life is about fulfillment and pleasure and wealth, and they're wandering aimlessly through it until finally their life ends and they spend eternity in a devil's hell. And friend, that's not what God intended for humanity. And in spite of our rebellion, the loving Lord Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin. He became a man and took upon himself the form of a servant. And he went to the cross bearing the sin of the world. And he tasted death for every man. And it's my job and it's your job to get as many people to heaven as we possibly can. You see, the only hope that the people of Jerusalem had was in the fact that God's good hand had touched the heart of a man and sent him there to do the work. And I don't know where God's going to send you, but he already knows the address. And the only hope that some of those people will have is when God's good hand touches your life and you surrender and submit and you go and obey and you do the work that God has given you to do. He said, look, we're in a big mess here. You see the distress that we're in. The walls are broken down. Uh, The city lies in waste, in ruins. The gates are burned with fire. Well, those walls are essential. Those walls served as, as barriers to the enemy. If there are no walls, then the enemy can come in. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. 
after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Let me tell you, that's happening every day. Invading armies, Satan's armies are coming into the lives of children who are defenseless, coming into the homes of young people who are defenseless because there are no walls of truth built around their lives. And he's carrying them away captives. He's spoiling them with philosophies and vain deceits. And the only answer is the answer of God's people to go and build the walls again. May God help us to go and build the walls of truth. The people were asleep, weren't they? I think they were Baptist. They had put up with it for 13 years. And if you tried to bring up the idea of rebuilding the walls... I can see the guy. I can see his face and I can hear him. He spoke with a southern accent. And this is what he said. We've already tried that, preacher. It ain't going to work. Well, let's try it again. Because God's good hand is on us. And God's good hand is on you. And God will use you as he used Nehemiah. And what did God do? Well, I want you to see what he did. He stirred the people. He stirred them. Look at verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. There's also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Nehemiah didn't say it. They said, the same crowd that had lived with those walls down, that had seen the enemy come in and carry their children away captive, that had seen people erect uh, idols and, and sacrifice to idols on temple grounds. Those same people said, let us rise up and build. God stirred them. Then I want you to see that he strengthened them. The Bible says, so they strengthened their hands in verse 18 for this good work. By the way, this is a good work. What's going on here? That's a good work. There's nothing greater. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, there's no job opportunity that you'll find that pays better than this one. This pays with eternal currency. You're dropping money in heaven's bank. You're investing your life in the eternal. You're involved in something that is making an eternal, everlasting difference for the glory of God. It's a good work. So they strengthened their hands for it. They encouraged one another. They prayed together. They fellowshiped together. They labored in the word together. And they were strengthened by God's good hand. You see the hope of a people. They were stirred. They were strengthened. And then finally, they were sustained. They didn't realize all the difficulties they were going to face. But if you'll read chapter 4 and 5 and 6, you'll see. You'll see the difficulties they faced. The trials they endured. The division that they experienced. The offenses that came. 
Some of you are learning about those in the dorms, right? And you're learning how to demonstrate grace. At least you need to be learning how to demonstrate grace. And you're learning how to live with people and work with people. And then you're facing challenges. I mean, the academic challenges. And you, you didn't expect that question to be on the test. And Professor so-and-so is not really listening to you. And you, you're just not gin and hawing with him. You know, that's an East Tennessee expression. Hopefully you got it. And it just doesn't seem fair. And everything is hard. And you're ready to quit. God will sustain you. So trust him. The excitement of coming to campus, meeting all the new friends, starting to wear away. The reality of college life. Missing home is starting to sink in. But God will sustain you if you'll look to him and trust him. And do you know what happened? In Nehemiah 6.15, Something amazing happened. The wall was finished in 52 days. Now, the work wasn't over, by the way, in chapter 6. That's why there's a, a few more chapters to go. But God enabled them. And God will enable you. It's his good hand. Do you see the good hand of God upon your life? Then why don't you thank him for it this morning? Has God touched your heart? How's the passion? God, renew this passion in my soul. Keep me close to you. You know, you can get cold in a Bible college. You can. You can get cold in, the, in, in a pastoral position and indifferent. Stay at the feet of Jesus. Mary was a wise woman, wasn't she? Too many of us are more like Martha, but we need to learn from Mary. Let God touch your heart. Let God put things in your heart. The experiences you're dealing with right now, God is using to prepare your heart for service. And recognize that this message, this gospel message, this Bible that we preach is the hope of a people. You young people who are learning and training for Christian education, you have one of the most exciting opportunities in the world because you get to spend seven, eight hours a day with a group of children and teach them and influence them when all of the influences outside of that place are leading them away from God. You have an opportunity to build and erect the walls of truth around their lives. The hand of my God was good upon me.